The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you more important than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single moment to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothes? Learn from the way the wildflowers grow. They do not work or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of them. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which grows today and is thrown into the oven tomorrow, will he not much more provide for you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry and say, What are we to eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given you besides. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for a day is its own evil. This is Radio Wave Medjinomics with your host, a friend of Medjugorje. It's been studied as far as habits go that if you do something for 22 times, you form a habit. We don't have a culture today that forms habits except by natural environment that surrounds you, that influences you to form that habit. When the church was strong, and you had nuns that didn't think twice about whacking your hand with the ruler or pulling your ear where you almost lose your hearing. Not that I'm advocating that. I'm saying that because that happened to me. Your habits are checked. The nuns made us form good habits because they knew intuitively with Christian principles, biblical principles, that if you form those habits, it becomes part of your life. I was just reading this morning earlier about a woman, a Norwegian woman who's on a Norwegian cruise ship who was in the Bahamas, I think it was the Bahamas. Her and her husband was out shopping. Kids were on the boat, ship, with her uncle, and they went shopping. 
and she's shopping and shopping and shopping. So they get caught in traffic, and they say they they called the people and say, "Well, we're going to be late." No, when the cruise ship leaves at five o'clock, and you got six thousand people on a boat, and you want them to wait, she runs up the dock and is sailing off. She's crying and hollering, and people video her, and she goes on her knees and starts praying. And people felt sorry. And how bad that was. Really? You got your kids left on an ocean liner, even with the uncle, and you are worried about leaving them when you caused it through a bad habit, to putting yourself first, being considerate of thousands of other people that they've got to go to the next place. What selfishness. I didn't interpret it how everybody else did. Oh, how pitiful, how bad this was. Because everybody's putting themselves in this situation. Oh, I'd hate that to happen to me. Me too. But I got enough sense and flown enough that if I'm not there at the airport, they're going to leave. We got delayed by a flight, Joan and I both, in Germany. When we landed in Germany, not by any fault of our own, but by Croatia Airlines, and we go and run as fast as we can. We get there. The gates open. And they got the last security check at Germany because they're very thorough on, on security. And we're sitting there watching the, the gate. And they delay us. And the Germans are going thorough. Then they want a pat search. And, and we're saying our plane's leaving. We finally get through. We run another 20, 30 feet right there. And they said, we just closed the door. We finished our paperwork. So we're here. We're, they, they stopped us at security. That wasn't even our fault. And they said, we'll book you on another line later. I wasn't happy about that. And I wasn't at fault for that. Nor was Joan. It was Croatia Airlines. We were on time. I'm saying that on the point that when they got to fly, they got to fly because they've got another two, 300 people on the plane that's got to catch other flights. And we're just one of the casualties of circumstances. This woman wasn't. She had put herself at once to go shopping. And these cruise ships have another opportunity. They go from one place to the next to shop and stop at ports. And then she's pitied because she's got a bad habit or a habit of consumerism that she thought everything would wait for her. This is absurd. We don't have a distinction of what is right and what is wrong anymore. Why don't we have that? Why have we lost such wisdom? Why do we have people who the audience are seeing this poor woman kneeling down, pitying her? You would, initially you probably would, but if you stop and was thoughtful about it, she did this to herself, not the captain of the ship. He's got a responsibility for other thousands. We live in a selfish world. This was a selfish act on her part, thinking I could just call, say, can you just wait two or three minutes? And I've seen people left on airplanes. But you have to do and be part of the system. I say this because we really do not understand today why we are where we are. It's because we've formed habits that doesn't bring good. Our lady just told us a few days ago, April 25th, 2016, my immaculate heart bleeds as I look at your sin 
and sinful habits. Do you know it's unvirtuous not to be on time? Do you know it's a virtue to be ahead of time? And do you know when you're out of time and you're rushing that you have no peace? I guarantee you, before this woman got to the docks and was sitting in traffic, had unpeace. Did she blame herself for her circumstances? Did she blame it that how crude this captain could be? Which is further in sin in your heart because you're blaming your own faults and your own lack of diligence, your lack of being habited to be timely because to be timely is to be virtuous. And it's through these sins and through these habits that lead to big sin and bad habits, the sinful. But we don't have traceability. We expect everything and everybody. In fact, I've read studies that people who, she called on her phone, that cell phones have caused many people now to be lax in being on time because they always can call and say, hey, I'm going to be five minutes late. I'm going to be there in 10 minutes or this so-and-so happens. Before you could do that, you would do it. I've heard about people going to job applications showing up 10 minutes late. Gone. If I was looking at their report or their application, it's it's over for them. I've heard of people not showing up, calling the next day, can I come back in another time? I forgot. You think you're going to get hired? And some people do hire these people because that's the only choice they got. But these small things, these small examples, shows us a greater problem. We have situations today that we don't even have the wisdom how to read and how to interpret things. How do we look at it? And we don't have that wisdom because it's a small thing on our part that we haven't formed in proper or we let another habit form instead. That's our read today. This is entitled, New Poll Finds Fewer People Keep the Sabbath Than in the 70s, But Many People Still Value It. The Sabbath may be losing its religious significance in the eyes of many Americans, but a majority still believe taking a day of rest benefits society, according to a new survey on Sabbath observance by the Deseret News. Half of U.S. adults today, 50%, say the Sabbath has personal spiritual meaning for them, down from 74% in 1978. However, 62% of people agree that it's important for society to have one day a week set aside for spiritual rest, the survey reported, and only 11% disagree with that proposition. A recent poll was conducted among 1,691 Americans, including an oversample of Mormons and Jews, two groups known for their Sabbath observance. It finds that members of some religious groups such as Mormons and evangelicals, continue to focus their Sunday activities around church attendance and Bible study, while others spend their time on less spiritual pursuits. It also shows that millennials are less likely than other generations to say the Sabbath is important or engage in religious activities on that day. Shifts in Sabbath observance illustrate how modern life influences people's understanding of this holy day religion experts and Sabbath keepers said. Religious activities are becoming less common on Sunday or Saturday for Jews as people fit shopping, 
work around the house, and time in nature into their Sabbath routines. Increasingly, Sabbath keepers reject the idea that there is a one-size-fits-all Sabbath. But without boundaries, others say, the sacred purpose of the day can get lost. Strict Sabbath keepers know that some limitations are surprisingly freeing, allowing them time and space to reconnect with their faith. However, the new survey depicts the modern Sabbath as a day focused on relaxation and errand running rather than religious commitment. More than 7 in 10 U.S. adults, or 73%, today say they take rest and relaxation on the Sabbath, compared to 63% in 1978. 30% of people go shopping, an 11 percentage point increase over nearly 40 years. Religious activities like attending church, prayer, and Bible reading are less likely to be a part of people's weekends today than they were in the past, the survey reported. In 2016, 27% of U.S. adults attended church on what should have been their Sabbath, compared to 55% in 1978. Around 1 in 10 spent time in religious meditation, an 8 percentage point drop over four decades. Other recent research suggests that faith communities have stopped focusing on the commandment. More than 9 in 10 Jews, 94%, believe that a person can be Jewish if he works on the Sabbath, according to a 2013 survey of American Jews from the Pew Research Center. Another Pew survey released earlier this month showed that only 21% of evangelicals and 12% of mainline Protestants and Catholics said resting on the Sabbath is essential to what being Christian means to them. However, a majority of older Americans still say the Sabbath has religious significance. Nearly 6 in 10 members of the silent generation, 58%, and 56% of baby boomers say the day holds religious or spiritual meaning, compared to 41% of the millennials. Ammerman, who grew up Southern Baptist, she says, witnessed these generational differences in her own life. My mother still makes disapproving noises when I talk to her on the phone on Sundays and say I'm doing my laundry, she said. More than half of Americans work in and around the house on the Sabbath, the survey reported. Overall, society seems to have moved away from approaching the Sabbath with a list of do's and don'ts. A choose-your-own-adventure type of spirit helps explain the wide variety of Sabbath habits that exist both within and between groups. Well, that's okay. 12% of the Catholics and some Protestants think it's okay to do whatever you want to on Sundays. They don't recognize the sacredness of it. That's okay. I mean, it's not a really a big deal to wash laundry on Sunday, is it? I mean, let's don't be pharisaical. Jesus cured people on Sunday. What's the difference? The difference is a work of charity, healing somebody, or doing something for somebody is a religious act. Laundry's not. You're saying, oh, that's extreme. You're saying you can't do laundry? We don't do laundry in the community on Sunday. If we have to, in other words, when our ox is in the ditch, what the scripture says, because we've worked all week, we've worked all hours, and Sunday's the only day we do it, and we're going out of town Monday morning, we have to do it, then we do it. 
But you know, even in that situation, there's accountability. You have to go to the head of the household. Sometimes people call me and say, hey, is it all right if I do my laundry on Sunday? You might think that's too constraining, too controlled. No, we don't have no accountability to set the Sabbath anymore. And we practice that in the community. And I've never turned anyone down when they've asked me to do it because they know their ox is in the ditch. But the practice of having direction spiritually over that keeps it in check. Because if it wasn't accountable, you just do it on your own. The next thing you do, well, you could always start rationalizing all this. We hold this sacred in the community. A whole book is about it. Look what happened while you were sleeping. And it's critically important that we protect it. But it's not a big deal, you think. Why can't I do that? We've worked so hard through the week. It's not a little big deal after Mass to go and get some gasoline because my car's on empty. No, you didn't plan your, your week right. You didn't fill up on Saturday if you were a little more thoughtful to avoid paying somebody else to work for you. Come on, that's such a big deal. Why are you making a mountain out of a molehill, friend of Missouria? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not put other gods before me. Thou shalt not cover the neighbor's wife. Commandments. The violations of which will send you to hell. If you don't acknowledge them and you're Christian and you deny them, you don't confess for them. But the Sabbath is different. Really? I thought it was one of the commandments. I thought it was the third commandment. The first three commandments are telling you what to do in regards to God. The other seven are thou shall not, thou shall not. All the bases of those thou shall nots, those seven, are in the first three. And you want to make it insignificant? That there's no consequences of it? This is why we have formed bad habits. And the book of James says, you break one commandment, you break them all. If one commandment can send you to hell, the others can too if you violate it. How does that do that? You mean I'm going to go to hell because I wash laundry on Sunday? No, you won't go to hell from that. You're going to go to hell because that leads to other small sins. The mission of the Sabbath commandment makes you lose wisdom, makes you not be on time when you got your kids on an ocean liner because you're thinking about yourself and your wants and your desires because you're selfish. The minor commandment and its consequences as seen in the impression that it gives to people and Christians is a grave violation that will lead to degradation like redefining marriages. It comes from us. If we can't keep the small, or the things that seemingly are small, then we won't be able to control the other that we would never do. That's why New York had the law jaywalking enforced stiffly, realizing that if they stop people from jaywalking and doing other minor misdemeanor offenses, it would lead to the saying, If you can't get away with jaywalking, you never get away with murder. Murder dropped 30% when they started arresting people for jaywalking. 
Everything in the society will decrease if we start enforcing and self-disciplining ourselves that the Sabbath is the Sabbath and I will not go somewhere and not work, and but I'm going to go pay somebody else to work for me. You're willing to do that? Put them in sin, then you're in sin. All this is said and already been said, and look what happened while you're sleeping, and you need to read it. But it's said to show you why we are where we are today. We have no wisdom. We lose wisdom when we form sinful habits. And so we have people dictating what we do. There's not a real clear distinction today between right and wrong because people don't know it because we're not living the Sabbath. But this program is not today about the Sabbath. It's about professors, what they do in college. One of the community members this morning brought me a magazine from Arizona State University. It's filled with articles, one of them called Building Up Sustainability. Of course, that's climate change, save the earth people, and they're all doing good. And so the universities teach this is the good you need to have. Careers ushering in new areas of social media, all seemingly good. We're doing good things. We're building this up. Look what the Arizona State University is doing. And of course, they push Peace Corps. She was talking about she was going to join the Peace Corps. Why? Because the Peace Corps, everybody in them wants to do something. Most people want to do some good. I tell you, I despised the Peace Corps when I was in grammar school. And in high school, I hated it. How did I know those things? I made that statement and was asked, well, how did you even know that in high school? I intuitively knew it. There was a wisdom that I had placed in me from professors who were dads that met in the afternoon after their work, and we as children sat around them listening to World War II stories or the 60s riots or everything happened throughout the 60s, and we drank from that classroom what these professor dads were speaking about, and they impressed us and formed us. And when we saw something like Peace Corps, we knew the same was pro-commie, pro-socialist. We knew it did good, go help people. But it's good minus God. And so they pushed this to, to harvest good intentions that could go to religious purposes, real religious vocations, and turn it in from their committees and everything and all the plans that we have to do to get you trapped in that to take off the top of the cream because most of these people are, are, are approached as the top of the classes, the most intelligent. And we've got that also in what happened while you're sleeping where they offer these, these youth and these college students all kind of special programs. Go here, go to Washington. We've got a, a weekend seminar just for you because you've been, you've been chosen for your grades. And all. This is an agenda. That we don't recognize it because we don't keep the commandments. The least of the commandments on our part. So we've lost wisdom. So we don't have this distinction of what's right or wrong. We have a gray zone. There's no clear black and white anymore. She said this morning when we were speaking about this, that faith was not the basis for her decision to go to college, fear was, because if you don't go to college, what are you going to get a job? How are you going to make it? What are you going to do? Everything, the reason she went was out of fear, not out of faith. And that didn't diminish once you get in college for anybody. 
Your faith actually goes away. Oh, here it is. I found my answer. We're going to be sustainable. We're going to do climate change. We're going to fight. We're going to do this. And this is in the church. And actually, this came from the church. How's that? If virtue and what those nuns taught us, that timeliness was a virtue, a good trait to be there early before the time you're supposed to be there and be ready to go to work, have your umbrella set down, your purse or your your things or your briefcase, and be ready to work before you get there, not do all this stuff when you get to work, that that's virtuous. That came from the church. That came from Christian principles. And all the degradation we're coming now from has come from the church. How is that? The curtains of power. You know, the United States Bishops Conference and the United States Catholic Conference were formed in the radical 60s. The latter part of the 60s. You don't think there was some influence in that? We didn't have it before that. We had councils. But we changed it to conferences at that point. And then both the United States Catholic Conference and the United States Catholic Bishops Conference combined together on July 1st, 2001. And they formed the, the basis for the work that was to be done. When they started this, the mission statements says the conference is organized as a corporation in the District of Columbia with its purpose under civil law to, quote, unify, coordinate, encourage, promote, and carry on Catholic activities in the United States to organize and conduct religious, charitable, and social welfare work at home and abroad and to aid in education, to care for immigrants, and generate into and promote education, publication, and direction the objects of its being. Where is this fruit? From 2001, I didn't see conversion. I didn't see building up the church. I didn't see building up Christ. It's all works, all social justice, socialist justice. Maybe we can get a more window of seeing where it says that it's the bishops themselves are approximate control 17 committees with a combined people of a staff of 575 people. And the same staff serves both organizations now into one. That's the curtain of power. The bishops had delegated and relegated over, and there's no wisdom and there's no fruit of what they're producing. Oh, well, they give money to, to Haiti when it gets hit. How many people converted? Did they purify witchcraft before they gave him money? Jesus taught to the 5,000 for two days or so. Then he fed them. We're feeding them, but those don't proselytize. It's not proselytizing, telling people about Christ. You're not forcing anything. This is who we are. We're giving, anytime I give anybody money for something, I say, I give this in the name of Christ. Pray for me. I don't just give them money. And it's a constant effort of mine when I see somebody or a need or somebody maybe not even sincere, but I always give it in Jesus Christ's name and our ladies. And so we got these committees that are drive to these things that have their own agendas. It's the curtain of power we spoke about before. And they're dangerous. 
They've got us in the situation we're in. The professor of dads that taught me showed me the Peace Corps was rotten completely by the time I got in lower grades of high school. Why did I know that? Because the professors didn't form me. We have families raising their kids and children that's wanting them to go to college, and they don't ever talk about politics. They don't ever talk about the wars. They don't ever talk about anything. They may mention them, but this is all our dads did. And it formed us, and it imprinted us, and we had a clear distinction what was right and what was wrong. And so I even run Caritas now. I don't run it by committee. I don't run it by the board. I've told the board from the beginning, you you have your legal part. I have my part to run the mission. Don't ever tell me what to do inside the mission. I would trust a 20-year-old here making decisions and this mission before a board would. They don't know nothing about operations, how we do what we do. We're the ones living the witness. And in fact, I'll give a 10-year-old a decision to make on here about something they want to do, a project, before I give it to the board. Phyllis Safley is being kicked out of Eagle Form right now. There's a big struggle. Whole nother story, whole nother direction. Because she endorsed Trump. She founded it. She knows what needs to be done. And she finds out now, Cruz and the lawyers have said that they've got, their campaign has gotten her her mail list and everything, and then come to the board and six of them want to kick her off now because she endorsed Trump. Can you not see truth? Are you living the Sabbath as you can see wisdom? That a whole mail list has been taken, allegedly charged in the paperwork filed in the courts by Shafley's attorneys. This is what's behind it. But that should make you seething mad. Oh, you might want to refuse to believe it. I'm not saying this to be for one way or the other. I've been for both. But I'm obviously for those who oppose someone the most that they're going to do as a result in a mirror looking at this resistance the most to save this nation. And many won't like that statement. But I base that in faith, not in fear. Paparelli is the greatest horse trainer maybe in all of history of the world as far as natural horsemanship. He's known as that. He's done more for that. He's got a big corporation. He owns the say-so and veto power in it. enough to say what he wants. But always committees are coming to him about doing this or do that. One day, aspirated about what they were doing, he said, God sent his only begotten son to save the world, not a committee. We run everything today by committees. We run the family by committees. It's the mother and the father. No, we used to say, the mother would say, son, wait till your dad gets home. Because he was the final authority. He was the final enforcer. She maintained peace throughout the day. But when it usurped her, there was a singular person to go to. We got to go back to that. We need people powerful that's ready to stand up, 
from our nonprofits to our churches. We need bishops to stand on their diocese and run it, not a committee of lay people and deacons and leftist people who are uninfluenced. I'm not going to go, nor did I ever have a vocation. And I know most people who are productive are not going to go work for the bishops' conferences as one of those 500 or so people. Those people that go there and gravitate to those things are do-nothings. You say, how can I say that? Because they have an agenda. And if they don't have an agenda, they're influenced by the greater bigness of the magnitude of the momentum of that curtain of power to go along with them. We don't need it. We don't need a bishop's conference. We don't need committees. that We need people that's ready to lead and go. And that's why people don't understand the presidential election now. They don't understand it. They say, oh, it's just anger. This country started because of righteous anger. We don't see correctly how things are. And when God does something, he does it singularly. St. Francis, Mother Teresa. You think Mother Teresa is converting all of India? Do you think all the Indian priests coming from India? I mean, our diocese has, I don't know, maybe 15 nuns and priests from India. They're the Irish country now. I knew before she died, all of India would become Catholic. Not Christian, Catholic. I knew it because it would be because of Mother Teresa. And what she did, how she picked the corpses out of the live corpses, almost dead, out of the gutters, and what she did. She's got five or six, seven, eight thousand probably now, nuns, part of her order. But that's the committee side of things. And they don't get together and say, well, we're going to be this. No, they follow Mother Teresa. We follow Christ. Our lady is getting us to a point where she's saying, follow me, show you the way. She says, my call is the bomb for your soul and heart so that you may glorify God. Whatever's not glorifying God today will pass, will crash, will die. And most things aren't. And many of you are part of corporations or own them or businesses or in key positions, whether it's government, wherever, are you implementing God's principles? Are you going along with everybody else? Or I can't do it as a corporation. Lose your job over it. I guarantee you, if you lose your job over it, your whole career, your whole occupation, God's going to say, wow, I'm hiring him. This is the kind of people I, I want. I lost my company over it as a free will decision to close it down to follow our lady. Would I ever go back? Never. God put me in a position of influence to help people, to grow toward holiness, to see the light, see truth, to live. So what? To return to God and to prayer that it may be good for you on earth. Don't go to medieval church where yeah, we're never going to be happy. Life is miserable. This is not what I was here for. She says, I want it to go good for you. She told Maria, I asked her, did our ladies tell you like Bernadette that you'll never be happy on this earth? And she said, no, our ladies says, I want you to be happy. Our ladies here to bring you into a new era of Christianity that we're not to be miserable on earth, not that we're not going to suffer, not that we're not going to be beheaded, but that we can live in joy and it's going to go good for us, even if we're beheaded. And that's scriptural. Don't worry about what you're to say in front of the assembly. I'll put the words on your tongue. And even if they persecute you and kill you, God will protect you. 
They won't hurt a hair on your head is what it was saying, even if they kill you. So from one moment to the next, you're going to be in front of Jesus Christ. We don't think right. We don't see right. We have a problem today right up into the bishops that we can solve problems through paperwork, through publications and direction the objects of its being. What's the objects of the U.S. Bishops' Conference's being? That was a mis- That's from the mission statement. It's to convert and change the world. Or they convert and change the world. No, Our Lady doesn't want us to go there. Our Lady actually blinded good bishops from seeing this because they've been theologicalized in a point where if they had the messages and they start saying this is what the message means, it would be through the lens of theology which would taint it and not be able to give Our Lady the ability to change the world. She's coming to us peasants. We're the definers. We're the apostles. We're the ones given the power. We're the ones given the new efficacy to change the world's direction and rebuild the church on top of the church. And once it's constructed, bigger and larger than the church, the innards will be torn down, and a bright new light will shine upon it, and a great new Pentecost will come to it. God sent his only begotten son to save the world, not a committee. We don't need conferences, be they bishops, corporations, or anything else. I tell you, Donald Trump, his success is because the individual, Donald Trump, he ran his businesses. He runs that. We're in a time where we need singular leadership. This man is no saint by no means. This man is not perfect by no means. But there are certain qualities of what we need today that people need to understand. And if we don't see it, why don't we see it? Why don't we have the wisdom? Are you living Sundays? Are you living the Sabbath? Are you going out for ice cream and shopping and doing this stuff on Sundays thinking it's okay? I'm telling you flat out, you're wrong. You may not like that. You might think, oh, well, you know, you're making a big deal. It's the commandment. Don't ever tell people you should not kill, you should not commit adultery. Don't ever say that if you can't live the Sabbath. You can violate all of them if you confess. Go to confession about the Sabbath. The priest is going to tell you, oh, what are you doing? What are you here? That's not a sin. It's a sin. They've been too theologicalized to see that. We've been Maryized to see it through Mary. She's bleeding her immaculate heart because of sin and sinful habits. She's telling me that and you that. Frank? I see it as, as very serious of a thing to, to shop on Sundays. And I have thought a lot about the message for our Lady is speaking to us about our sinful habits, and I've thought a lot about the Internet and how we get into these, you know, the electronics that have, over the years, gotten us to develop and form bad habits, and how important it was for Our Lady to help us form good habits. To be able to see these things is very serious things, and when we consider the grass of the field or the, the flowers in all their splendid glory, we understand that these are 
created by God and we understand creation, but there's a, a virtual reality that people can easily believe that it's a reality. And, and when it's gone on for so long, you can be really duped into believing something that's not real is real. And when we had the crash of the stock market in 29, we had expanded things beyond their natural order. And now with nothing backing our money, we've expanded them even, even farther. And so where someone could say, well, you know, you've been saying this for years, Frank, and, and I've been doing well, look at my stock portfolio. But these things are not real. And in the end, the fundamentals will win. And the fundamentals for something that has expanded way beyond any scope of reality, even into numbers that we hardly used before, like trillions, that we can't get our head around, we don't understand that this is a virtual reality. And the things that Our Lady's calling us to consider by reading these verses in Matthew every Thursday are real things created by God. And so that's some of the things that I've I've thought about as being responsible to help people through Global Silver. We're here to help people consider, is, is this something that's sustainable? The more that we get into these these times, and you can see things in the statistics with the millennials of when there was the structure and the order in the family that you talk about, instead of a committee, the silent generation and the baby boomers have a better understanding of why we should give the Lord his day and why they should be for him and for family and for things that are holy. And that's part of the reason why you ended up getting in where you are now and in Georgia and the whole keeping of the Sabbath. And again, a lot of that is covered in Look What Happened While You Were Sleeping. And also today on Medjugorje.com, we have a featured new download uh, called Troubles Befall You, How to Correct Them. And it speaks particularly to this specific sin, going back to the message Our Lady just gave. And again, that's on Medjugorje.com. It's a special offer that's titled You or You. And uh, you can find that on the homepage. And Frank, if you want to give your contact information so people can get in touch with you about getting out of a false system and into one that's based in truth. Yeah, you can reach us toll free, 877-936-7686. You can email us at globalsilverinvestors at yahoo.com. And our website is globalsilverinvestors.com. I'm not putting forth the idea that these colleges don't do good. That's exactly what they do. Join the Peace Corps is good. Join this committee is good. The Bishop's Conference is good. You've got all kinds of programs that's good. And people want to do good. There's goods in everybody. Goods in even in a thief when he goes to rob a bank for his own good. What we have going on today in the colleges, the universities, and the Bishop's Conferences, all these things, is good minus God. And that's what this whole program today is about. The Sabbath is what Joan was reading. Was talking about how many people still say a good percentage that the Sabbath they they still recognize as religious, but they're not doing anything religious anymore. They're not living it. So let's do that, which Satan offers a good, which is a lesser light than the Christ good, so that we can take that talent, go into the Peace Corps and all the other things like this, and siphon off those good intentions. And you don't have the wisdom to see this because we're not living the commandments. Once we come to Christ and pray and do what we're supposed to do, Our Lady said the key word, 
that it may be good for you on earth. What good? The returning to God and to prayer. You can't go in the Peace Corps, which minuses out God and his work. In fact, we were spoken about this this morning. When this community member was talking about it, and she said that what happened was she was going to the Peace Corps. She said that she wanted to go be stationed somewhere in the world where she could go to church on Sunday. She never heard back from him again. That was a recruiter. They want people, but they don't want nobody in there that might start converting somebody else. They want to do good minus God. Are you doing good out there minusing God? Is your charity work good minusing God? You say, well, what about the bishops' conference? They're all bishops. They're pushing paper. Show me the conversion. All those bishops, and take all the conferences in Italy and Australia and all the bishops' conferences around the world, has not done nothing compared to the holy good and conversion in building up the church and changing the direction of societies in the world than a little tiny village has called Medjugorje. Or even this place where our ladies appeared for almost 200 times. We broadcast to the whole world, sending our publications out to the world, not preaching about, you got to do this for the immigrants, whether that you as an individual has to be responsible for your Christian responsibility to conversion and living holy, and then you can do something for others. It's a verse versus verses. A good versus good. So it's a good versus a good minus God. And I tell you, Medjugorje is here. Our lady's coming. And her reason for being, just like the Bishop's Conference says, their reason for being is different than the gender of our ladies. So she's coming to us to you as an apostle. And everything's on your shoulders. But you can't carry that burden and that cross without understanding the commandments, especially the third. Keep the Sabbath holy. We wish you our lady. We love you. Goodbye. The subject matter contained in this presentation is based on biblical principles and designed to give you accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that neither the presenter nor the broadcaster is engaged to render legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Since your situation is fact-dependent, you may wish to additionally seek the services of an appropriately licensed legal, accounting, real estate, or investment professional. This ends the Metronomic Show with a friend of Medjugorje. To order this show on CD, you can contact Caritas in the U.S. at 205-672-2000. Again, 205-672-2000.